a look. I was up till two a.m. last night. I did another one of my oh, no. research sessions. Oh, I was geez. too, but I'll bet my I'll bet my research looked slightly I, different. Your Google search is like, like let me all the the <laughs> arguments of why Beatles are not as good as people say they are. You're reading everything you can find on that. <laughs> Morning, listeners. Let your mu- let the music be your master. And here's the next song plan. I'll stop that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Arnold, and with me, as always, Jordan Harmon, Jason Johnson, Steve Ricks. Thank you, gentlemen. We are ready. Yeah. Um. What are we talking about today, Bud? Okay, we got another entry, another wing to be d- constructed. <clears throat> Of the Let the Music Be Your Master Hall of Fame. Uh, this time, the, this group doesn't fit into any particular genre. So, as a band, they get their own wing. Oh boy, in he's the Hall a, of Fame. Uh, already laying the groundwork. Jason's to be, already scoffing. Yeah. <laughs> already yeah. laying down some things. You, that can you be punched. may or may not have heard of this Holes band. Punched in. We're talking about the Beatles. Uh, previously, did an episode trying to find the American equivalent. So, what I heard then was Beatles slash not a rock band. I, maybe you implied that. That's what I heard. More Beatles slash more than a Ford. rock band. More the first the first cannot band be contained or even represented by band. one song in one genre. All right, all right, the I'll first rock it. band I'll that has some. their own wing in the Let the Music Be Your Master Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um. Uh. Sorry. Sorry. New Wave. You get a wing, but we're going to give a wing to the Beatles. Right. Sorry. Right. I like the Beatles. <laughs> and. I like uh, the Beatles. Maybe the second most mentioned band in the podcast so far after Kenny G. No, after... Bonnie Prince Billy. <laughs> yeah, this is the unofficial or, Bonnie Prince Billy <laughs> podcast, it seems. I, w- I was going to say the um, the one that I keep mentioning for New Wave that I'm... Dexies. Dexies. Beatles, second best band <laughs> to, after come, to come out of England. Or, the normal. Well, Dexies were Scotland. Scotland, or, yeah. So, okay. Or maybe, Beatles, maybe Beatles are back on top then. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, but first, uh, Jason's going to tell us something. Tell us something good. Oh crap! I got something good. This might be the week. And we need to get uh, H. Tuttle hired as an intern or something. <laughs> maybe he can do the editing on this. Oh mm. man, H. Tuttle, if you're listening, we need an intern. We need an, we need someone that's willing to listen to all six hours of the the raw takes of this and condense it down to a slim four hours. <laughs> <laughs> six to four. Yeah, I'll have some overdubs as well. I'm not. <laughs> we were so <laughs> close. Right after. We were so is. close. That's hold up! Hold up! Hold up! Okay, <laughs> Jason, what do you got for us? What have you been listening to recently? That's I didn't got hear you excited. So, Okay. She, it got cut off. What type of thing was Chaka Khan asking me to tell? Some, that you love her. Something good? Yeah. Good. I got it. All right. <laughs> this is a, a band. I think uh, Jordan and I have not had a formal discussion about them, but he commented on a, on a post that I made the other week. Um, 
I think we've probably both been listening to them for the last little bit, and it's kind of an interesting group. I was hoping you'd bring this up. Out of the United Kingdom, they're, uh, they're enigma- enigmatic and uh, somewhat anonymous. We don't know the names of the members. Uh, there's not a lot that we know about them, but they are very, uh, they're very active in, in promoting um, black culture, and they've released four albums the last two have been untitled. It's a band called Salt, S-A-U-L-T. Really, really good. Uh, they put out two, two albums in 2020. One of them might actually be my favorite album of 2020. It's, uh, so they're kind of a combination of like R&B, funk, um, like <clears throat> beat poetry, Looks like their album covers are kind of hard to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's you have to look they're, close. They're to giving see the, the black album a run for its money. A little bit. I think theirs is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more thoughtful. But <laughs> there's a anyway, super cool. So I'm gonna have you play just a, a sample of a couple tracks off of. There's an if you can see the album that has like a raised fist. It's called Untitled Black Is. Mm-hmm. Um, play a little bit from uh, the second track called Stop Dem. Stop the Dems. Stop <laughs> them. Stop the, stop the libs. Stop them. Okay. I'm going to have you stop that one and then jump over to the song from the same album called Wildfires. Here we go. So really interesting, really intriguing because they've they have really stayed true to this um, commitment to kind of anonymity and really trying to keep their message out in front of them rather than uh, making it about any individual. And so it's it's hard to find a lot of information about them. It's this collective out of the uh, United Kingdom. I was actually going to promote. This is going to be the time to do it. I didn't run this by anybody. Maybe um, at some point, maybe we can experiment with a, a bit. Like if I were. If I were going to buy stock in a band that hasn't blown up yet, like this would be a band that I would absolutely go all in on. I've loved everything that I've heard so far. Um, 
I don't know what the future holds, but so far they've been very prolific. They've put out four albums in a pretty short period of time, and it's all really quality stuff, very thought-provoking. It's Some of it's heavy stuff to sit with, but they it feels like they're doing exactly what they want to do within their, their project. They're playing by their own rules, and they're making incredible art to uh, to go along with it. Uh, I would recommend anybody head down this rabbit how, hole. How did you come across it, Jason? I think for me it was... Questlove maybe but I'm not positive like uh, so Questlove's Instagram or something I think like, I had heard it from him and then a friend of mine Sam that that we just talk about music all the time and recommend stuff to each other he he put me on is to he it. at Three Hive Records mm-hmm. okay yeah. nice yeah I've enjoyed cool. listening to both of their albums from 2020 a lot of good tracks on there and then they have two from before that yeah. as well yeah. that but yeah it, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting band and it's like I said it's hard to to find a lot about them uh they did like on this album they have a track where they feature uh Michael Kiwanuka if you're familiar with him but like they only they only name featured artists by name otherwise Nobody else is even named by name. Yeah, you don't the, know who the, the band is or anything. Mm. It's just a collective of... The Masked Dancer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's a, exa- exactly that. Yeah. Paul. <laughs> but it's, it's good stuff. It's cool. Cool. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, so I've, uh, I'm coming around to hip-hop. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, what's doing it for you? Well, our... Marky Mark and the our, I feel like I'm about to be set up. He's trying to... He's going to... No, our, our intern, H. Tuttle... Uh, Made me made me also a personal playlist. Hip hop for you came first, Brandon. of course. But uh, uh, yeah, he made a, a hip hop for Brandon playlist. Actually, made two playlists. <laughs> little less swears, a little. Well, more. He, the the first one was one, a, one had like Vanilla Ice on it, didn't the, it? Yeah, the first one was he was Rick rolling me. <laughs> hip hop for Brandon sends me a text with uh, here's some MC some tracks Hammer. from the hip hop world that I think you'll enjoy. And yeah, it was Ice Ice Baby and can't touch this and and all that classic stuff from, yeah. that i love from the 90s um, <laughs> but then he but made then you he, another list he made a real one of of things that i hadn't heard before and there's some really good stuff on there i some, can't some I, bangers as it were at a, at some other point because i if, don't want to cut into will, this yeah, precious beetle if someone time. will pick me finally for telling me something good maybe i'll share one of those hmm. but might be your turn so. let's get into the the real i mean he knows he could have picked himself here. right like he's the one in charge of this episode. I'm picking myself this whole in episode. The whole thing. <laughs> Frankly. Introduce uh, the episode. Let's introduce the doing? episode. But do we need to take some time for voicemail? Our voicemail? <clears throat> Maybe so. Yeah, let's let's play this thing. Uh so we do have a uh, a voicemail account set up that you can find the phone number on the website. And yeah, <laughs> I'm just finding this out. If you want to leave us a voicemail, it's on there. Uh, and we got one, so here we go. So it looks like we got listeners in China that want to communicate with us. Do you, cool. do you know what they said? Were they, did I they give get, a hip-hop list? I should Will. get Will in here to yeah. translate. Is this the Will first time you've heard this, Brandon? No. You've listened to this voicemail. Okay. I, just, I could try to play it for Jack. He could see if he, he knows it. Yeah, but clearly it's a fan that has an important question for us. I'll bet they were recommending a, another hip-hop playlist. <laughs> there, there's actually four four voicemails that are identical to this one. 
<laughs> so what is this like some like uh just spam the chinese us. version of like if you want a car insurance or whatever like home warranty insurance what's the car warranty is our so. is our podcast hosted on a chinese website is that how we get around uh, copyright issues? <laughs> <laughs> or something never mentioned that uh, i mean i mean sorry sorry i mean uh so if any of our real listeners out there want I to mean, leave us a voicemail yeah. and maybe be featured on the next Henry episode title could actually do one in chinese we're supposed he to keep anyone, <laughs> if anyone needs the certificate of authenticity from capital maybe, records maybe we've got this it episode in particular it's okay we've we've covered it all right so, let's get it yeah, here. Here let's, let's get into it okay the beatles uh i wanted to do this episode Mainly to to get it out, to explain, try and explain why the Beatles are widely regarded as the best rock band of all time. Um, they have that reputation, albeit with some detractors. I never heard that. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with movies like Citizen Kane or you, know, you think best band of all time, Beatles, it's, it's what comes up. Shows up on so, the lists. We need to we need to talk about this. Explain to the the youth of today why this why this might be the case. What is so great about the Beatles? And especially if you've heard the name but aren't familiar with the songs, or if you have listened to the songs and they just sound old to you, um, we're we're going to dive into this and and see what it what it was that they they contributed. Uh, I did a quick unofficial survey of some of my classes, so I teach high school. Um, and so I, I just put this as an extra credit assignment on their, uh, on their assignment list. I asked them, I said, without looking anything up on the internet, list your top five Beatles songs. If you aren't sure if it's actually the Beatles, no problem, write it anyway. If you don't know any, take a guess. If you can't think of five, put as many as you can. Uh, so we have, I'll just read some of their answers. Uh, one student says, hey Jude, here comes the sun, revolver, come together, yellow submarine. Uh, I also had a follow-up question, just as a reference, and again, without looking up anything online or on your phone, list your favorite songs from any of the following groups or artists. Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Beach Boys, Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson. And the same student wrote, Communication Breakdown, Immigrant Song, Stairway to Heaven, Whole Lot of Love, Heartbreaker, he knows his, he knows his Led Zeppelin, Paint It Black, Give Me Shelter, Wouldn't It Be Nice, Billie Jean, Smooth Criminal, Surfing USA, I Get Around, Good Vibrations, this is the smartest kid in the school. Yeah. I guarantee it. Uh, don't Matter to Me. Is that a Bob Dylan song? I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with a song called Don't Matter to Me. Or There's a bread song. Man that in the has Mirror. A, I think it, it is. Don't Matter to Me. I think it's a bread song. I wonder if that's Maybe. what he's talking about. I, I told mean, him not I to look like anything it. up. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, this, this is the kid that tends to know his, his classic rock stuff. Uh, here's, here's another... Uh, Beatles songs, Obladi, Oblada, Yesterday, Here Comes the Sun, Yellow Submarine, Hey Jude. Other songs, Thriller, Love Never Felt So Good, Man in the Mirror, Billie Jean, and Beat It. And she says she doesn't know any songs by the other bands. Uh, another one, Beatles songs, Yesterday, Come Together, Twist and Shout, Let It Be, Hey Jude, Average Love Song, whatever that is, Blackbird, Obladi, Oblight. Here comes the sun, yellow submarine, hey dude. <laughs> and from the other band, Smooth Criminal, Billie Jean, Thriller, Man in the Mirror, Love Never Felt So Good, Immigrant Song, The Beach Boys. <laughs> One more, hey Jude, Eleanor Rigby, yellow, yellow submarine, here comes the sun, come together. 
And from the other band's immigrant song, Beat It, Here Comes the Sun. Didn't he put that on both? He did. Uh, Surf in the USA and Cashmere. So, nary a Bob Dylan track to be mentioned. I would have thought that kids would know Blowing in the Wind or something like that. But no. Hasn't been in enough movies, I guess. But I was, I was surprised. I mean, I expected Hey Jude and probably Yellow Submarine. Uh, Obla Di Obla Da, I think, might be popular at my school because some of the one of the bands played at the talent show. Yeah, I was curious why that one came up a few times. Um, surprised that Eleanor Rigby comes up as much as it does. That wasn't ever a single, right? Not that I know of. Mm. So, and the, the I probably had twenty responses, and they're they're all fairly similar. Um, Beatles and Michael Jackson were the, um, were the two they knew the most. Yeah. Sounds like you should have put ACDC yeah. on there. I know they would have known some ACDC. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. A- well, any of the bands that get played at the football games. Yeah, I think the fact that it was Beatles and Michael Jackson were the two that your pace in high school students knew is kind of like a good maybe argument to say if you come to like a single artist in terms of the king of pop, you've got Michael Jackson. In terms of the king of pop band, pop, mm-hmm. you got the Beatles. More so than rock and roll or, or you know, transcending a genre, but popular music. Yeah. It's the Beatles. If you're a singular artist, it's Michael Jackson, at least. Well, and, and with Led Zeppelin, seems like Immigrant Song's the most common one they knew. Probably because that's been Iron in Man, a, a fair right? amount of trailers. Thor. And, it was well, Thor. It was yeah, that's right. Thor, yeah. Ragnarok. That's right. Um, so, I, yeah, I think the amount of movies and commercials that things have been yeah. in affected a lot. And I would guess a lot of them would recognize Rolling Stone songs, but... Just don't know the names. There was that movie recently, yesterday, where the Beatles songs were featured quite right. prominently in right. the title of the movie. Tell, so, us the, tell us the structure of the episode. Like, what are we... Because you, you introduced us. We're going to yeah. talk about why they're the best band. But it seems like more we're going to do some of that, but really dive into songs in three periods. Yeah. So just to help us cover the, the whole uh, history of the Beatles, um, I gave you requirements. We're each going to choose three songs but only one song from each era or period, we're calling it. So early, mid, and late. And I have a question. Yeah. I'm going to combine it with a comment. Do. <laughs> Number one, the, do. the mustache part of your beard looks fantastic today. It's the only part that grows. Number two, <laughs> um, so these periods that you identified, are these ac- accepted like amongst Beatles heads as common periods, or did you come up with these on your own? How did you come up with the periods? Uh, like, is this a thing? If I go out and talk to rabid Beatle fans, will they all talk about early, mid, later? Or is that, a, is that your division? I, I mean, I don't know if it's, like, canon, per se, but I, I would guess that it's... Uh, and, and probably the, the dates can be somewhat fluid, but it seems like there is a unofficial division in in this like if if you think of you know if you just choose a random album from those periods you know you think of hard day's night if it's in the early period revolver mid and let it be or white album in the the later uh you know very different sounds from each each period it could if it weren't the same members and if you just heard the songs without knowing who it was you could think if they were different bands right so I just my only bone to pick is I wish you had help at the in the early period. Is it not? 
No, you had you had help oh, in the mid. Oh, it's the it's the first one in the mid. Well, it's kind of a transition one, and I tried to stick it with years rather than. Yeah. Um, they just there was more material for me in the mid and late years that I liked than in the, <laughs> you, in the early. Yeah, you wanted uh, to choose the, a song from Help to put in the the early. Yes. Okay. Well, not necessarily, but I just wanted. Yeah. The early period was more slim pickings. Well, for that's me. the mid is hard. That's for me. your problem, it's so not mine. Packed. You're right. <laughs> It's the Hall so, of Fame's yeah, problem. Here's, here's, how we, here's how I divided it. So early period, 1963 to 64, two years. You got four albums in those two years. Please Please Me with the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, Beatles for Sale, and a ton of singles. Like We know that most of their singles were not even included on an album, but were later compiled in greatest hits kinds of things, past masters, uh, that type of stuff. Mid-period, 65 to 67, includes Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, Mag- Magical Mystery Tour, and then late-period, 68 to 70, White Album, Yellow Submarine, Abbey Road, and Let It Be. Um, little historical background first. So, Beatles, I believe they f- actually got together as a touring band, 1960, 61, somewhere around there. Uh, played a ton of shows in Great Britain and Germany, especially. Um, seems like they had standing gigs, like every certain night of a weekday at certain clubs in Germany. So they played live a ton, and a lot of it is covers of, uh, you know, Little Richard stuff, Chuck Berry, uh, that kind of stuff, early rock and roll. And but they had had some originals too. Then in '63. They uh, decided to give recording a shot, and they, I think they were the ones to approach, uh, was it EMI Studios at the time? Um, they approached them. They booked one day in the studio. Uh, well, I guess they came and recorded a couple demos first. I think they did Love Me Do and something else. Uh, so George Martin gives them a shot. They book one day in the studio, and they come in, and they record the album, Please Please Me, in one day, one very long day, but like 12 or 14 hours. So the whole album recorded in that day, except maybe the, the two singles that they'd recorded a, a, a month earlier. And then they, they took off from there. That album is about half covers and half originals. And then uh, we see in just those two years, they're putting out two albums a year, actually for the first four years. Please Please Me, with the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, Beatles for Sale. They're all six months apart. Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver. All through, through that, the first half of the career, seven albums in three years. Crazy. So let's, uh, let's get into our picks and figure out what, what made them so, so great. If, or if great at all. Uh, one last clarifying question. Do we have to actually pick Beatles songs? <laughs> <laughs> is that a serious I'm question? I'm just messing with you. No, this is. Guess what? Guess yeah. how I prepared for this? I stayed up till two thirty on match year two. I stayed up till two thirty, but Roadhouse was on with uh, Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott, and so I fired up Roadhouse and I was uh, writing my list. And I no, I'm I'm thrilled. I got a kick-ass list. Let's do this. Okay. Okay. Wow, uh, I was watching Point Break, actually. Were you really? Yeah. No. <laughs> and Jordan was watching Dirty Dancing. What a, yeah, I think. What, a, what a triple feature. Sign me up. Okay, we'll start with Jordan, and we'll go clockwise. 
So we'll start with your early period picks. Okay. So anything from 63 to 64. So I'm going to, this was the pick that was the hardest to me. Like I mentioned, I, I, and in fact, we did a, what was our episode, our 60s episode. I think I, I had Hard Day's Night on there. So that's another actual, actual clarifying question. Mm-hmm. Are we saying that anything we've had on an episode before, any song is already in the Beatles Hall of Fame? Because we've played a lot of Beatles. We've picked that's true. Hard Day's Night. We picked uh, Day in the Life. I, I, I would say don't, don't feel obligated to pick something that's already been featured. It, it can be an honorary inductee. It's already in the Hall of Fame. We can mention yeah. it. We can, yeah. If we have time, we can talk about it. But we can go around. I'm, I wasn't going to pick yeah, Hard like, Day's Night anyway. But and Jason and I both had Day in the Life for one of our picks. So if, it's true. If I've picked a Beatles song before. If we did, well, a, talked well, about a, another song enough, it's a really good song. I mean, if you have something more to say about it, then go ahead. Yeah. But. So I'm going with a, a song that is one that probably a lot of people don't know unless you're you've really listened to like the Beatles early like albums and you're really a Beatles fan and it's one I didn't know until just a few years ago when I was I was listening through them let me listen to this early Beatles album and I heard it and I liked it a lot um partially I'm doing that because a lot of the early stuff to me it's not why I like the Beatles I respect it it's like oh they're really getting good as a band they they have good taste in music, right? They like all this Motown stuff and all this. Um, they have good taste in music and rock and roll. And then they're kind of doing their take on it, sometimes just covering it very closely. A lot of times it's a girl group from the U.S. that they're that they're actually cover, covering, like the Shirelles or, or whatever. But this is a, an original tune that John Lennon wrote. Um, try, he admits that he, I was basically trying to sound like Smokey Robinson. Like this is my, you know, and so... A lot of times they were just like, how do we get this sound like Smokey Robinson? How do we sound like our version of the Shirelles here? So the song is called All I've Got to Do. Um, and what, one of the things I like, like about it, which maybe this is saying something about how I don't like the early period as much, is that it sounds like another British invasion band that I probably like better at that era, and that's the Zombies. To me, it sounds a little bit like the Zombies. So yeah, let's hear it. Whenever I want you around, yeah All I gotta do is call you on the phone And you come running home, yeah, that's all I gotta do And when I It's that that symbol. <laughs> That's the thing. That's what you inducted. I love that like sparse drumming. Mm-hmm. It that reminds me of the zombies a bit, but it's just also a cool spatial thing. And supposedly they never played this song live, be- partially because of well some some kind of uh, speculation was just like it didn't work as well with screaming fans. 
because the drum was like less involved or something. I don't know. But anyway, love that song. It was new to me probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a deep, deep take. But I don't love early Beatles. Like I think of like, I want to hold your hand. It's like good music, but I don't listen to it. I don't, um, you know, I don't choose it. It's kind of where if that was the Beatles, the, the early period, if that was them, I could see, you know, they wouldn't be what they are. Like they would be like, oh, this right. is a boy band from the right. '60s that was huge, Beatlemania, and then they kind of went and did their own thing, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But that's what, not who they are. Uh, what is your what is your relationship to the Beatles? Do you love them? Do you listen to them still regularly as part of your rotation? Do you have them in the top one of all time? I understand why they're rated top one, and I think they probably deserve it. But I th- I think it's kind of like. Um, you know, if you have like a great basketball player, like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, you know, you have someone who's like the greatest of all time. There's always going to be reasons you can find like, well, but, but what about this? Or what about this? You know, um, my, my wife loves them and my older brother loves them. And I almost feel like because they love them so much, I heard them a lot. And I almost like I didn't, need to love them as much or something, but I'll, I'll listen to them. Like we listened to them last night in the, it's just out there. It's all in the yeah. ether. But listen, like researching for this this week, I was listening to songs like, oh, I like this song better than I remembered. Mm-hmm. There was other things like the Beatles are more goofy than I remembered, like their humor. Like I knew they were humorous, but it was like, oh, maybe a few songs. It's like sometimes it's like every other song almost is like a joke, but it's that was part of their thing at the time. And it's it's interesting. But I would say I don't listen to them very often myself just like oh i want to listen to the beatles today a few times a year i think Mm -hmm. that's a that's a articulates maybe kind of where a little bit where where i'm at on them or have been i've i feel like i've always been surrounded by at least one or two really rabid beatles fans in my life so i've never felt the need to like like they're doing fine. They don't need my vote. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're doing just. They yeah. seem to be doing just yeah. fine. Um, and then there sometimes the 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 rabidness of of the fans that have been around me has gotten to the point of being off putting. Where I think I almost like all right, I get it. Is it the rabidness or the unanimity? Where it's just like it's all an open the, and shut case. It's like it's the Beatles. It, it's for sure. all of the above. It like it. it it's like they they uh, no, like. Like somehow they're uh, they're they're not subject to critique or something. Yeah. It's just like rubber stamp. No, best ever. <laughs> it's called rubber soul. Yeah, you got <laughs> they, it's called rubber soul. Oh, they <laughs> they can still they can still suck sometimes too, just like the rest of us. <laughs> uh, okay. Is it my what pick? You, what do you got, Jason? Uh, this was the hardest era for me as well. I I don't like early Beatles. This is my least favorite Beatles. But there's a few a few gems that I like. Question. Are we going original compositions only, or are covers eligible? Whatever. Covers are eligible. Yeah. That was a big part of them. That was early Beatles. Like half yeah. of half of it was covers. Yeah, Hard Day's Night was their first album with no covers on it. Yeah. Okay. I think this one's an original. I don't know the background of all their songs either. So for the re- I need to. I guess I do need to set the records. I don't hate the Beatles. I like the Beatles just fine. You do love being a contrarian, which I uh, I, I, I love that too. So I tire. I do tire of the Beatles. I I don't have a lot in regular rotation. We'll talk more in the later years. They 
they they are incredible and they they have they do have a superpower like they have a, a superpower when it comes to songcraft um and even so i told you last night i'm up late i'm watching roadhouse which is such a stupid movie but it makes me laugh and i watch it anyway anytime it's on and i'm listening to beatles songs and i'm like kind of hate listening to the early years songs but then i'm also trying to pick out what i like and then i wake up this morning after not enough sleep and no no kidding first thing in my mind when i wake up is the chorus to eight days a week and i think damn it beatles you did it again they <laughs> they, they have that song craft they can make an earworm that just digs into your psyche yeah. and you can't shake it and obviously the their longevity and the like the the diversity of people that that like them and respect them they found they were able to find a rhythm that just connects to i think humanity in a, in a really unique way um i'm going to pick i'll pick i feel fine uh, 1964. I think it's a, a Gosh, Lennon it. and a McCartney. That's the one I was going to go with. In your face, Arnold. Oh. <laughs> he went last, probably confident that some yeah. schlub like me <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't take, take his good stuff. You guys just might emerge from this episode being um, friends. Was now, <laughs> I think we just became best friends. Want to go in the garage and do karate? Is um, yeah. Is this a, was this a single? Yeah. This was a single. Was yeah, this on one of the Past Masters albums? It, uh, I would guess so. That so my Seems like that's what the past first, masters was for. My very first exposure it's also on the the red greatest hits. Yeah. So my very first exposure to the Beatles. I never owned like an actual Beatles album that wasn't a compilation until a little bit later in life. My first exposure was the red and the blue greatest hits albums, and then Past Masters Volume One and Volume Two. Past Masters Volume Two was like always my favorite Beatles collection. Yeah. Anyway, I feel fine. Okay. Baby's good to me, you know she's happy as can be, you know she said so. Uh, so on that one, Ringo Ringo gets a, a bad rap sometimes for uh, for his his drumming. I really like his drumming in that. Um, it, it's just right. This one, the early years songs, sometimes it. I mean, and this is probably common for a lot of people. They're trying to figure out who they are. A lot of time, their songs feels like they're doing. Um, they're trying to sound like other bands. This feels like 
this feels like kind of the 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 beginnings of them finding who they are. It's still a very McCartney style baseline. Keeps you bouncing your head, but it feels like they were create this this feels like a I guess a unique sound. Like this feels like them being the Beatles rather than being somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love the uh, the drumming on this one. That really stands out because um, it it just feels different from. It does. It almost feels a little like Rolling Stones style. Well, I uh, I when I was researching this song in particular, Ringo said that he uh, he was inspired by it, it was the um, oh what's the Ray Charles song that you picked? Oh, what I say? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was his inspiration. Interesting. For I can the, hear it. Who, who wrote this song? Um, that, that's a Lennon. Lennon and McCartney. Okay, and track. and you said Ringo though was inspired by the Ray Charles song. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Huh. Yeah. I love the guitar riff at the beginning of this, and it's interesting that like we you know we did our fifties episode that was one of our very first ones, and the whole Chuck Berry the way he used the guitar and the guitar riff was like it was kind of revolutionary. It was kind of his thing. And the Beatles certainly were influenced by him. They have a few Chuck Berry tunes that they're doing, and but that guitar riff at the beginning is really cool. And it's not—it doesn't sound like a Chuck Berry thing. It sounds different. So I don't know—I mm-hmm. don't know if there's a precursor to that guitar riff of like, oh, who were they trying to sound like, or if that was their—if that was a George Harrison kind of thing. But I, I love that intro. That's that one's. I think George does the the solo in the middle. But John's doing John's, the, John's doing the riff. Yeah, that's a cool one. On a. Uh, semi semi acoustic like hollow body kind of guitar mm. um this was the sixth song of the sixth beatles song of 1964 to make number one on billboard still i think it's that's, still that's still an all-time record amazing six songs and six number one songs in one year yeah and uh do you know the, the history of the that opening note the feedback you heard about this so it, nope. it starts starts with this guitar feedback. Which was a studio accident. Uh I think it was actually re- recorded after the song. Um John had so he has that hollow body guitar that he'd and he'd leaned it against Paul's bass amp and then Paul hit hit a note on his bass and it made the the feedback through john's guitar that's and cool there the rest of them are in the the studio at, at the time and so they hear it like well can we put that on the on the record <laughs> <laughs> so george martin cuts it out and sticks it at the beginning of the song wow and later on like in the 70s in some interview john john claims that this is the first intentional use of feedback in a recording wow says that the Who and the Kinks might have had feedback in live performances, but he says that he defies anyone to find a recording earlier that uses earlier feedback. That, unless it's some 1920s blues. Well, thing. it shows a very early period of them kind of experiment, like like having an accident and saying, oh, can we, what yeah, can what, we do? Can what we normally would have there? been a mistake, but they're like, actually, this right. is cool. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I think All right, Steve. Good break, <clears throat> Barrington. The Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Zing! Um, if I was gonna pick a, the song from this early period that, like you know, I connected with the most or remember the most, it would probably be their cover of "Twist and Shout" because of it. But this isn't. That's not my pick. That's not my pick. Hold on. <laughs> 
doing a I'm doing a Jordan thing. Yeah, that's that's uh, because that's it's in. It's, <laughs> I think I think I do that all the time or once because <laughs> of its appearance of Ferris Bueller's Ferris Day Bueller. Off. Yeah, and then yeah. and then I don't know if you guys you guys are too young to remember the show putting on the hits. A lip syncing competition show, <laughs> and Starring they also, Jimmy Fallon. It was very popular in the eighties, and it was, and they would even sponsor regional competitions that would be held mm. at like shopping malls. And what things was the like farthest this. you ever gotten one? And me and three <laughs> friends did a cover of did did a lip sync to the Beatles' "Twist and Shout," and we 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 made it to some sort of regional competition at a mall in phoenix so yeah baby it was was pretty fun so when i asked about covers i was specifically thinking of of twist and shout ultimately i I backed off from it but ferris bueller it fair the ferris bueller moment i went back and rewatched it recently because i was trying to remember if it was a lips if it was a lip sync to the beatles or if they dubbed in like modern vocals and lennon's vocals stuck out so strong when I was watching that scene in mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller, I think that might be my favorite John Lennon vocal track. It's pretty it, amazing. He just he is killing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We're, I know it's not your pick, but we gotta we gotta <laughs> play this for for the listeners. Yes, just let's so give it a nod. Just as a reference. We got Paul's signature that he yeah. insists on doing in so many songs. It's a good song. It's weird that like I've heard it so much that it, like like oh, I can't pick that. But listening to it like in these years, like well, that's a Hall of Famer for sure. Yeah. I, oh, I wish there were shoot. more songs where Lennon just yeah. belted it out like that. Well, here's I mentioned. So this is on the Please Please Me album, their first album, recorded in one day. This was the last song they recorded that day. So his yeah. his voice was yeah. tired, this and you just, can hear it. And he came in, came into the studio with a cold. To start Didn't out they with. only do like one or two takes of this too? This is, it was this his, is take his one. His voice was done. This is take one. I think they did a second take after that, but, but it, it was. It you know what? Yeah. This is this is becoming my pick. It's got to be. It's there you go. Be. This is it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> Bring it up. Well, let's, restart yeah. it, and because uh, we cut out after like ten <laughs> well, seconds. Okay. If this is your pick, well, give it. Give yeah, it. It's been recording the whole time. Yeah, his timing on that "Come on, come on, come on, come on!" Like being a teenager and hearing this with what else was going on, I'm sure this would like have been that, just so that's freaking the, exciting. The, like they were so pop, so pop. That's rock and roll. Mm-hmm. That's rock and roll. That's not pop, even though it's a pop song. Like his Lennon's performance in that, and I know it's in part like desperation because he's losing his voice. But he is killing it. Well, rock and roll was pop. I mean, it was popular, sure. right? Like, so it's not bubblegum pop, but that's pop, but it like was popular music. That like has elements it's more more rock than you think of yeah. other early. Yes, yeah. that that's not like I want to hold your hand. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. that's like right. screaming energy. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Sorry, this is Steve's pick. Steve, let us have it. It's all let good. You, it. got, you guys are providing the details and the analysis and the context. I, I've, I've said my piece. Uh, shout out to uh, Mark Harris and Mike Fair. And then, I, you know, similar to the So beat. you guys performed, I don't know who the drummer you was. performed that. <laughs> we, who we was, had a rotating. Who test. was singing and what was your part in it? I, lip sync, I, right? It was lip I sync? was either... I was either Paul or or George. I can't remember. And we we actually did the one of us holding it, you know, left-handed versus right-handed. And the lead singer was my friend Mark Harris, who was a very energetic fellow, and I think even managed to pull off a a a, a, beat, a, a Devo Satisfaction video crazy dance guy flip in the middle of his <laughs> uh, lip sync. So he did a front flip. So was this was your landed perf- on his back as part of the thing? You know? Was it Ferris Bueller that inspired you guys to do that? Yeah, song? sure. So yep. good. It's yep. such a great movie scene. Such yep. a great movie scene. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yep. great. Uh, I'm since uh, Jason stole mine. <laughs> I had plenty. I had plenty though. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with another one from this same album. Please, please me. Opening opening track. Uh, this is I saw her standing there. I don't think this one was ever a single. Uh, it doesn't. I don't think I heard this song necessarily until I listened to the the whole album. Um, but first song of their first album. Two, three, Let's check it out. I think this, all all of these that you picked, I think exemplify what what stands out about the the early period of the Beatles, where for the most part in these these first two years, they the technology isn't there to do much innovation necessarily, and the the time you know two albums a year plus singles, there's just I mean it, the Beatles are known for their innovation and that stuff, but not so much in this this early period. Um, because they've got this whole album was recorded on a two-track recorder, so we we are using six tracks right now to record this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we each have our own microphone; it's each going into its own track that we can adjust the volume. They recorded this album with two tracks at their disposal, so they'd you know they'd put multiple microphones out there, but if they wanted to adjust the levels afterwards, you can't; it's not isolated. So. They, they just had to get really good at performing the songs, which they had done through these years of touring, and then, you know, go into the, the studio for a day and just knock these out. Not that they'd, you know, th- this song they probably did five, 
five or ten takes or something until they were satisfied with one, but they couldn't just record over and do do one part over or just record the bass or something like that. It was all of them in the room performing. Uh, so I think it goes to show just uh, four guys, four instruments, three three or four voices, and still making all these killer songs. So, so they they were the ones. Uh, if you if you want to nerd out just a little bit on that, the touring hours, uh, they were the ones that were in part the the inspiration for uh, Gladwell's book Outliers, where he proposed that ten thousand hours idea that kind of became somewhat famous, like in the business world. The his his premise was to become an expert at anything you have to put in at least 10,000 hours of work and one of his case studies was the Beatles and the, that early bar scene in was it Germany and England where they were just playing shows like multiple nights a week they had put in 10,000 hours of playing live together so that when it came time to record those first albums they could step in and just kill it on a two-track recorder mm-hmm in one take or two takes because they were experts at playing their own songs at that point um, because they'd put in the time. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the innovation in these early songs, but I love the energy and it comes through in a lot of the picks and the, you know, twist and shout. I love the please, please me, the title track and just the way they build the chorus. Come on, come on. You know, Mm -hmm. that was the contender for me. And, so many of these are just so so punchy and fun and energetic and yeah, I don't yeah. Know. You I can think, tell they're having fun. Yeah, going back to you asked me a question and, and maybe I'll go into my turn from this. Sure, is that okay? So you asked me, Jason, like, what are my overall take? Are they the best ever? I think in my in like even though I don't listen to them a ton, one of the things I actually because they were so poppy and popular initially and borrowing and trying to sound like there's a one of the songs I was going to pick was the early years was a Dylan-esque song. And, and I listened to it. I was like, this sounds like Dylan. And then I looked up on Wikipedia and it was like, John Lennon said, this was my dip Bob Dylan attempt. You know, so they were unabashedly being like, oh, I want to hear this song would sound like Bob Dylan. Yeah. But I think and that, that, that kept going their whole career. Right. And it doesn't, they, they took inspiration from all, they took inspiration. It doesn't bother me. I think because it almost makes me like them more that they, it's almost like they paid their dues. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't start off saying, we're the best and we're going to do all this crazy experimental stuff and everyone's going to love it. They were like, look at all this great stuff out there. Like look what they're doing here and here and like Smokey Robinson and Chuck Berry and Bob Dylan. And like, Oh, here's this song. And they're paying their dues. They're playing in their little bar in Liverpool over and over again. Like the work ethic, the time playing together, the like honing their craft. And then they start getting tired of touring. They start thinking like, man, how do we really, reach people like we go my, my mom actually went to a, a Beatles um, concert in San Diego she grew up in La Jolla lasted 10 minutes and she had to go home like her and her sister were so bummed out because they basically got rushed off the stage like the Beatles and like so it got shut down it was be- I think a nine minute concert that my why, mom went why to why did it get shut down like many of them did in the states because the crowd was just crowd it was just a mob took <laughs> yeah Beatles would come on play like a song and a half two songs and then they had to leave. And, you know, that was happening all over. And so you can imagine these are musicians. They want, I think they really wanted to be popular. Um, one of the last song I played, actually, one of the quotes from uh, one of the things from John Lennon was he was specifically writing it for an American audience because they didn't have one of the lines is about calling a girl on the phone. He's like, we didn't have that in London. We didn't have phones to call girls. You know, they had that in America. So I was like thinking of an American. So they were very like, we want to be popular. We want to be big. 
But then years of touring, and it's like, we want to write music and reach people. We can do that in the studio. So they start going through their experimental stuff. My pick for the second era comes in the, the third e- year. So it's like a, a, a leap from beyond where we've been. Uh-huh. And this middle era, era, there's a lot of transformation, like from help yeah. to what's the last out? Magical, Magical Mystery, Mystery Tour. So this song... Huge changes in those years. Yeah, yeah, the song I'm picking, it was released as a single in February of 67. They wanted it to be on Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah, they wanted it to be on Sgt. Pepper's. Now, now George... Taking, George's taking my now pick taking this time. Yeah. He took my pick, The first too. one was obscure, but this one, well, as I was listening last night, I was like, oh, there's Strawberry Fields, but I hadn't listened to it. It was on my list, and I was listening to different ones, and I had a different one picked. Like, this is the one, and it was a McCartney one, because most of the ones I listen to, I'm like, I, I resonate towards McCartney. I see it as John Lennon is the pop rock, and then indie, or McCartney is the indie pop. Like... There's a little, or, or sorry, indie rock, indie pop. I thought McCartney was the pop. Jason That's and I are I mean, both I mean, furrowing I mean, our brows I mean, about indie this rock, statement. Indie Lennon rock, seems indie more pop. more the blues influence. And, I mean, indie I rock, like, okay, okay, I'll say it this way, angst. Rock. Lennon has more angst. Okay. 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 McCartney has more sweetness. Yep. More, that's what, so, so I meant to say indie rock, indie pop, right? So Lennon, in terms of who, who came after them and which, like, indie bands. Lennon's Pearl Jam, McCartney's Weezer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can, and you could do that with a whole bunch of them. Anyway, I had this Lennon song picked out, and then I'm like, let me listen to Strawberry Fields, Wait, and it what kicked did I in. Say? Did I say Pearl Jam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant Nirvana. You meant Nirvana. Yeah. So Pearl, Pearl Jam's in between both of us. He's yeah, they're, they're a little bit of both. <laughs> so I, I listened to Strawberry Fields, and I was like, holy crap! I forgot how good this song is, and that kind of like Twist and Shout. I think the <laughs> Brothers ruined that song for me. <laughs> But we just put it on. We just put it on here. Oh, no. Sure. You you had to be there. Redact. Redact. You have to. That... If I got beeped, I'm the only person in that in this podcast that's been bleeped. Hey, they that did a great be, job. I don't feel name, bad for them. That name has to be bleeped. They, had, they did a great job, and they had girls... <laughs> Up the wazoo, right? Like in high school. So, I mean, I'm not sure where they were, but yeah. Anyway, point is, I listened to Strawberry Fields, and I was like, "Oh, this is my middle years pick." So even though I'm more of a McCartney guy naturally, this song was so good. Um, the other thing is, they wanted this to be on Sgt. Pepper's, but they had it had been the the longest period in between an album, and they had a thing they didn't want any of their singles to be on Sgt. Pepper's because they wanted all of it to be new. And when you say longest period, how long is that? It was a year. Like a year, right? Yeah. It was a year. And they, and people were like, where's the next Beatles album? And so Strawberry Fields, when you listen to it, you're like, oh, yeah, this does fit on Sgt. Pepper's. But they didn't. They released it on the Magical Mystery Tour. The other thing about this song, really quickly, is they did a music promotional video. They didn't want to do interviews. So they just did a, a music video that was kind of abstract. And no one had seen them with their mustaches. They had mustaches all of a sudden. And it was like this abstract, weird, surreal video. And, and supposedly it's one of the first music videos ever. It was a promotional video. But when mm-hmm. you watch it, you're like, oh, this is what Spike Jones was doing with the Beastie Boys. And so with is Farside. this the one with like the piano under the tree? And- yeah. And there's weird slow-mo and, and reverse motion stuff. And just, Whoa. it's just, yeah, it's just a weird, you know, but it's, you can, when you watch that, I was watching it last night and being like, wow, that's this, you can see how kind of groundbreaking this was. Yeah, so Revolver, the previous album, comes out in August of 66. Right. And then, you know, they'd been on a six-month schedule. Usually it's every June and every December. And so the record labels 
pressure him. We got to release something for Christmas. Come on. Right, right. And still, still nothing for Christmas. And so I think they demanded that they release. It was a, a double single. A side because they spent Lane this whole time. And Strawberry yeah, Fields together. Spent this whole time just on these two songs. Hadn't even recorded the other. Yeah. Pepper stuff. But it's super experimental, and you can hear. And John says this is his favorite song he ever did with the Beatles. So, anyway, let's hear it. Strawberry Fields. Okay. have to mention at this point maybe brandon or jordan's the one to do it but give a little bit of an overview of who george martin was and what his role is because this song doesn't happen without right. him i mean they're like the instruments are cool none the playing of the stuff is cool, happens but him. this song like but, but this is so perfect of like what yeah. makes them unique this yeah. song is not just those four guys yeah and i feel like you got to play the ending the mm-hmm. the what my uh, what my friend, friend Mike actually called the, re- the, resumption, the resumption the <laughs> resumption <It's like laughs> it ends and then there's like a little post <laughs> tag yeah yeah we'll bring it up when it yeah okay okay George George Martin George R R I'm just kidding George Martin's George there is one R George R Martin yeah that's right that's why George Martin 1.0 the fifth Beatle right like that's what you know, some people refer to him as the fifth Beatle. Yeah. Paul McCartney said, like, if there was a fifth Beatle, it's definitely George Martin. A lot of the songs, as I was researching for this, it was like, you know, Paul had this and, you know, John had these lyrics. They did this. But then George came in and said, like, switch this around here. Bring this to this. Duh, duh. And what about a piano solo? And he also played piano on a lot of the tracks. Um, but he was a huge, huge part of not just producing their albums, but c- arranging songs. Yeah. He was par- he was part of the writing process even though he wasn't accredited accredited into it. But the sounds we hear, yeah. 
<laughs> and this is three years after the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. And a lot of LSD after. Yes, LSD. <laughs> that's a big part of it. Like they. Oh. Raspberry sauce. <laughs> or does he say Paul is dead? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to play it backwards to crazy. find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so George Martin, his original career goal was to be a classical performer, like perform with, uh, with orchestras, symphonies on the piano. Uh, that didn't pan out, thankfully. But yeah, he knew, he knew his way around the, the instruments and all the theory stuff for how to, how to arrange. So even early on in their, their, uh, whenever you hear like a, a piano or harpsichord kind of stuff in the, the early songs, that was, that was George arranging that. And, uh, then all the, the string stuff that you hear in the, in these later things. I th- and he was a willing, willing participant and encouraging in the studio experimentation. That's the big thing for me is even when they were being experimental, I mean, when you're hearing some of the stuff that sounds like muted where you're listening, and you're like trying to figure out even what instrument it is sometimes, there still is like this compositional nature to it. It feels like a lot of his songs have like this really slow crescendo, like classical feel Mm -hmm. that builds up almost like cinematic feeling. And I think my understanding is he, he was pretty responsible for at least heavily contributing to that kind of that sense to it. I don't think without him, we're having this conversation today. I think there are, an important pop group, but yeah. I, I don't there. He brought the, the way he helped bring things together, brought like a certain sophistication where even if they're doing pop or goofy stuff, there was like a sophistication to it that I think can really appeal to a, a, a even like a, a highbrow listener. Yeah. Um, so technology wise, this, this really showcases what they, what they did in the next, three years so they've gone from two track recorders at this point abbey road studios has upgraded to a four track recorder um so all of yeah all of sergeant pepper revolver those albums were recorded on four tracks again two less tracks than we are using right now (laughs) (laughs) two less tracks but but four more Beatles. yeah which still blows my mind of what they were able to do so that that means that they had to do a lot of what's called reduction mixing Mm-hmm. So they'd they'd usually record the rhythm section stuff first, and that would use up all four of the tracks, and then they would uh, play those onto another recorder and sum them down to one track. So now they've got three more tracks to add vocals and leads, and so sometimes they had to do that reduction three or four times on on a song. Mm. Um, yeah, by by the time this this song gets there, they're using new instruments that hadn't really been used before. It opens with the the mellotron mm-hmm. this uh this weird kind of a precursor to a synthesizer it's not electronic sounds yeah. but it's uh it's like a sampler though i think yeah, it's right ta- yeah it's, it's like tape loops, tape loops mm-hmm. and i think of like a flute sound yeah. or you know so but these are yeah flute notes that have been recorded onto tape and so but when it has you push that the key, strange i love the sound. synthetic yeah. sound yeah i mean yeah i was just looking up mellotrons you know you can get one for a cool 2500 you know Ooh. if you want uh-huh so yeah, that they're they're using these new instruments, uh, and then later on you've got the the backwards drums and some other things. 
Ringo's drumming on this track is so good. Great. Yeah, yeah. it's another good another good track for Ringo. I don't know why people bag on Ringo. I always love his drumming, even oh, when it's like super simple or whatever. He's a great drummer. That's that's how Ringo got the job. Yeah. He wasn't the first drummer. Right. Yeah. The saddest man in the world, Pete Best. <laughs> <laughs> he was the original drummer, but it was, it's when they went to record their first. You should have Pete Best make an entrance into Sad Batman. <laughs> <laughs> into the Sad they Batman. They go into the series. studio yeah. like he was the one touring with them the whole time. They, they go into the studio to record their first uh, those first demos, and George Martin said Pete Best isn't cutting it. They yeah. fired him and brought Ring- Ringo had been like the in demand drummer. I always, in, I always think in his Liverpool. fills are so tasty and like. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't think of him as like a John Bonham or that that type of virtuosic drummer. But I think you, com- gets, you compare him to anyone that was working in '64. He, he ex- and does he get bagged on more the, for his singing or songwriting? Yeah, like people say, oh, for he's sure. the silly, he's the silly one, the silly not good songwriter that occasionally gets thrown a bone with these songs. But I don't know that anyone bags on his drumming necessarily I, or, or maybe just underappreciated it's, i think it's underappreciated he never like um, demanded attention some drummers kind of i mean like with zeppelin like ringo doesn't have a version of moby dick yeah. or or poor tom like <laughs> well yeah it's just people looking retro re- retrospectively retrospectively of these other yeah what came later with all these crazy drum or, or keith moon like Right. Th- that like that that Neil would be Pert. his contemporaries that he would be put up yeah. against, and he wasn't he didn't demand attention. But at the same time, I'd say the Motown drummers ob- obviously have more stuff going on than, than yeah. Ringo does. But compared to other rock drummers at the time, mm-hmm. he's he's great, and he's especially great. yeah, especially this song, awesome drum stuff. Yeah. Going on. But here the this backwards stuff is is fun with the the cymbals. Yeah, and the expansion of the organ. You know, you got you got strings and brass and everything coming in. Again, comparing the the story of how how this song was cut together. It's actually two. It's two versions of the song. Mm -hmm. So the first verse, you've got the mellotron, right? And the are there cellos in the intro here too? Oh, so it's the mellotron and that kind of that clean electric Mm -hmm. guitar, Um, and like the really light drum and and then. They had the other version with like the horns and the more aggressive cello stuff. The darker kind of sounds. They'd recorded yeah. these all like separate days, had multiple takes of, of each one, and John's listening to them both, and he says, "I like the first part of the Mellotron version, the second part of the cello wow. version. Can you stick them together? Let's combine them." Problem was they had record. I don't remember which one's which, but they recorded in different keys. Oh yeah. And so if you just stuck them together, it would sound way off. It's there was like you know if one's in the key of B, the other's in the key of C. You know, just just slightly higher. It's very problematic. And yeah. uh, George, so George Martin explains the problem to John, and he's like, "Well, we can't just stick them together because we'd have to re-record it in the right key." And at that point, they didn't have time or whatever. And, and John just says, "You figured out, George." George figured it out. They had, they had started using a Vera speed thing where you can slow, slow things down at an like exact, you know, precise um, time. Mm-hmm. So George took the part that was the higher key and slowed it down so it would be in the key of B. Wow. And then just cut, it, cut the tape, Which taped, by, by it, the taped way, it together. 
is a very hip hop move. Yeah. Do you know what's crazy about that? As so I was that, listening, I'll, I'll show you here, right where they where they meet up. So this is still part one. Here goes into part two. Let me take you I think it's just with that drum hit. Yeah. So, so no. when I was listening to it last night, is real. I remember thinking like, "Whoa! Like, what are they doing? They're, they're layering in all sorts of darker, weirder stuff." And I thought it was deliberate. But that, that was the exact part that made me want an explanation on Martin because that was all production. That wasn't, yeah. I mean, you could tell it yeah. was anyway, he's, he was genius. That was cool. And willing right. to do, and then willing he, to do stuff that would have been considered mistakes. And then after doing all that, still writing all the game of Thrones books after the fact, <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> what, can, what can we say? Okay. Amazing. Jason. Um, all right. We've talked a lot, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. Jordan, I don't know if this was the song you were thinking of, but Jordan made a Dylan reference, and I think I figured out the way to put Dylan into the uh, the Beatles Hall of Fame. We're going to go with Norwegian Wood from uh, 65, like which like was it. a uh, which was inspired, from what I understand, by uh, by Dylan. This is, I think, probably one of their most Dylan-esque songs. And I think this is the first time they, they used the sitar on a recording. And I think this is the first time anybody had ever recorded an E chord on a recording as well. And I think this an is also e the first time that, <laughs> that a drummer had played a hi-hat on a, uh, on a recording as well. Because so, I think we're attributing everything so that ever first. happened to the damn Beatles. Give me a break. You didn't do it first. This was the beginning of music. <laughs> this was as the we starting know point. It. You didn't do it first. The Big play, Bang. Play me some Norwegian wood. This is what's called an acoustic guitar. <laughs> First time ever yeah, on tape. Invented by George Harrison. <laughs> and George R.R. R. Martin. Lovely. I I like it. It uh, I my favorite Beatles songs are always the ones that don't that you have to pause a minute and go wait is this the Beatles? And this is this. It, it's obviously a Beatles song, but it doesn't fall like in their typical formula and as far as like a pop structure. But it still kind of I think preserves their their harmonies that they're so good at. It's the right amount of sitar. Too much sitar ruins the song. But this is a this is tasteful. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Are that, you going to go on the record with that? Too much sitar ruins the song. Hell yeah! <laughs> when, when you say it doesn't fit in their typical formula, in my mind, I'm like, what is the Beatles' typical formula? Like, other than their first the first period, 
Like yeah, after that's that a first good, period, I, as they soon as I said that, I, I realized a, that's a that's that's probably definitely a questionable statement, especially when you get into their their later years. They there is, I think, there is like a common, like really catchy. Um, I think a lot of it is McCartney's bass. There's a common, mm. like, really catchy bass piece at the the center of a, a lot of their songs that just kind of makes you want to bounce your head you still do a the little po- bit kind of this. a poppy bass. it's very very poppy bass but uh this one i don't know it just feels i i i don't know i don't have to explain myself it's a good song it's a good song i pick it for the hall of fame i was just curious about that because i was like what what is their formula yeah as soon as, not like as soon as i said one, i think I, I would probably attribute that more to their verse, early chorus, years verse chorus bridge but yeah, once they got into the the later years, they, they have so many songs yeah, that are were, kind of orchestrated and have like this is three songs in one. They were they were blowing that blowing that up, yeah. definitely. All right, yep. we move on to Steve. This has a little bit of a sitar tie-in, but also kind of I think marked their first. Well, when they really started to embrace the studio techniques in four way, so I'm picking "Tomorrow Never Knows" off Revolver. Oh, cool. Almost, uh, almost like at the beginning, especially like almost some elements of that uh, kind of that like '60s French pop. Like it, I could hear um, early, like inspiration for a, like st- a Stereo Lab album or something. And I think it maybe as that kind of running sitar through it, it just makes it feel like you're on a plane or a journey or something. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know. So, what do you like about it? I just love I love the sound. I love I love the drum, you know, the drum pattern which is kind of not a little stuttery and not not a typical kind of rock pattern. Yeah, again Ringo's killing it on this one. Yeah. And uh I don't I don't remember him being as forward in the mix in previous songs. Like they're really bringing the drums up in in this song. Yeah. I mean, you've got the sitar loop, this that drone and this and so this is actually kind of a drone, you can tell. I mean, it just never there's not a chord no, progression. Yeah. There's not kind of some of those typical songwriting things. Um, you've got all these kind of tape techniques uh, that come, you know, experimental tape techniques of taking found sounds. The kind of seagull sounds, which I think might be sped up guitar or something, but they're looped. There's all these tape loops happening. 
that crazy solo we heard in the middle that was just like so mm-hmm. whack, you know, just created from Played all backwards. these different different editing and loops and and the way it just kind of or the way the sped up stuff, you know, it doesn't really fit necessarily on the beat. And and apparently, like Lennon sings through, they they feed his vocals through a Leslie speaker. That's one of that's the Hammond the organ rotating, or is it the rotating yeah. speaker just yeah. to kind of mm-hmm. get a kind of effect? So it's kind of one of the early, early forays into all this experimentation that starts to show up more. And I mean, I was just, you know, you look at the revolver track list, it's like Taxman, Eleanor Rigby, all this stuff. And then you imagine this song put next yeah, to those. It's wild. like, whoa, this is, they close out the album with this one. This right. is like the transitional album. Maybe, they said, cause... well, and yeah, I was just reading a little that they, it, this is the first one they recorded for this album, but it, they put wow. it as the last track. Huh. Yeah. This, that's I I don't think I've ever I think I've heard that song but I didn't know that was Revolver that's that's interesting to me feels like Sgt. Pepper yeah, later or whatever for sure, you know for sure yeah, yeah. which you know we think of these as really far apart but Sgt. Pepper was only a year later <laughs> yeah so it's it's like they did so they did they changed a lot in a short amount of time so Revolver summer of '66 this is the last album that they toured for maybe maybe it was during this tour that your mom saw him. My mom would, I bet it was earlier because my oh, mom yeah. was born in 48. So she would have been already 18 at BYU. She went to BYU when she was 17. So it would have been probably in 65 or even 64. Uh-huh. Did they tour US in 64? Yes. It was probably yeah. the second tour. It was, it was probably af- 65. After Hard Day's Nights. That, that she saw them. Um, yeah. So they, they toured for this album, went uh, all around the world. I know they went to Japan, Philippines, got in some big trouble in the Philippines, apparently. Uh, what kind of trouble? Uh, something to do like political kind of stuff. They like s- spurned some invitation. Lennon shot his mouth off. Something like that, and they they didn't come to something they were invited to, or something like that. They got got in some trouble there, and this was also the year that he shot his mouth off in some interview comparing themselves to to Jesus, mm-hmm. um, which I think, like looking back, it was. Uh, you know how right-wing media will do that. Take something. Misconstrue things. Yeah. Like he was saying it critically, like... Like, this is stupid. We like, shouldn't be this popular. Yeah. Saying that to kids these days, they're they're bigger than Jesus, but then, uh, yeah, the, the media spun it to say that... Anyway, got, got all these uh, album burnings and stuff. <laughs> from, Which probably uh, only angry, made him then yeah. sell more yeah. albums. Right, and they were even better. It helped their cred. But it's it's also like they're they're playing live. the The live technology isn't what it is now, where they can they just couldn't hear themselves. the The amps weren't loud enough speakers, so they hated performing. Ringo says that at the the live shows, the only way he could keep time is by watching John John Paul's heads from behind, like if mm. they're bobbing his heads because he couldn't hear himself. He couldn't hear what they were playing or singing. If he ever did a fill, he was lost. which explains why he never did a film sounds sounds really miserable the crowd just would not stop screaming plus necessity is the mother of invention or whatever (laughs) plus with all the assassinations going on those years like they they were nervous about that so after this tour they said we're done and then they went to the studio and i think the intention with sergeant peppers was to record an album that couldn't be performed live which already they were doing some of it here like you can't play tomorrow never knows live um, but yeah, with with Pepper, they went all in and 
and that stuff. Okay, uh, what uh, you guys all picked Lennon tunes, so let's uh, let's hear what what McCartney was doing these these years. Um, he he tended to be the more the more straightforward of the. I mean, not that Lennon didn't write straightforward songs either, but um, I think uh, I'm tempted to pick Yesterday because it is such a great song. Um, but I think everybody knows that one plenty well. Uh, it's the most covered song of all time. Um, but kind of along those lines, I'm going to go with Eleanor Rigby. This is the, the first Beatles song that really struck a chord with me. I knew who they were all growing up because my mom was a huge fan. And she had, I know she had the Help album on vinyl. Um, but up until I was in junior high, I just thought of the Beatles as some old band. You know, uh, I, I liked the stuff that used electronic instruments by, by that point. You know, mid-80s, that, that was the sound. Uh, and it wasn't until some, some radio station at the time was playing... They'd have like a Beatles two hours or something. And they played Eleanor Rigby. And I hadn't heard this one of them before. I don't think it was a single. Um, I'm like, whoa, this is not uh, not what I'd heard from them. So here we go. up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it for all the lonely people where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one so, when he, when he wrote Yesterday, he was criticized by the other Beatles as writing a Paul McCartney song, because none of the other Beatles played on it. Um, <laughs> it but that's the one that uh, George Martin convinced him to add, add string arrangement to. And so in this one, they, they went all in on the string arrangement. I, I don't think there's even a guitar in it, is there? It's just the strings. So, you got their voices, but then you you got the uh, the chamber orchestra doing doing the strings and kind of these jarring like psycho kind of like scarier sounding strings than they than they'd heard before. Uh, so yeah, th- this really uh, got my got my attention the first time I heard it, and and also I probably in all these picks that we've heard, um, they're not the they're exploring different lyrical and mood kind of stuff where the early periods all, um, maybe not all, but generally positive, positive vibes, feel good. Uh, I love you so much kind of stuff. And here it's not necessarily love songs. Um, but writing, writing more about uh, difficult things in life. And so one interesting note that would that and con- also about yellow submarines. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that would finish the middle period as you defined it. No track off of Sergeant Pepper's was picked, but we I feel obligated to point out we 
both of us picked uh, during our during our um, '60s um, episode, "A Day in the Life," which I still think is top one so or top great. two so great. Beatles song. Like for me personally, um, it's already in there. Yeah, it's in, it's in the Hall of Fame. And, and "Strawberry Fields" was intended to be on Sgt. Pepper's, right? Yeah. As was Penny Lane, which yes. I'll just as we wrap up the middle era, the one I was going to pick that no one picked was a McCartney tune, which was, um, well, it was Lennon McCartney. Lennon wrote the lyrics, McCartney did the music. Allegedly, I think there's some discrepancy um, in my life. That's the one I think you referenced as the harpsichord, which I'll just say that actually isn't a harpsichord. The George Martin solo is a piano, it but a they sped, sped up it up. Yeah, but everyone yeah. thought it was a harpsichord, so other bands started using harpsichords because. Because they thought it was, but yeah. it was like Lennon asked him to like George Martin to write a Baroque sounding yeah. solo. So they recorded so half speed and then thing. he couldn't play it fast enough. So they recorded it slower right. and sped yeah. it up, and it sounded like a harpsichord. <laughs> but yeah, that, what, a, what a cheat! Yeah, <laughs> but the other thing about that is in the lyrics to "In My Life," uh, Lennon had references to strawberry fields, which was a, 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 like a place where he used to go for like. Like children would go to like a play, like a like a kind of a after school Salvation Army thing, and he had references to Penny Lane, but he took them out and made it more generic, and then he wrote other songs about those places. But mm-hmm. um, so that wraps up our middle for the record. Period, right? Glenn Gould would have just played it at full speed. That's that is true. He would have and <laughs> and hummed along. George, and so, George Martin turns out had limitations. <laughs> he wasn't quite the Glenn Gould of his day. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, you know, somehow I'm, George Martin could play it without humming along. <laughs> <laughs>